0: mpi paranormal radio the truth is to be found an internet radio show dedicated to the open discussion of different paranormal topics by the military paranormal investigations our aspiration is to research and discover the possibilities of scientific reasons to a field of study which many do not believe to be supported by facts Military Paranormal Investigations is not affiliated to any branch of the military. We are a science-based paranormal research organization with active duty and retired military members, dependents, and or friends located at Wichita Falls, Texas. Recorded or live, broadcasting with shoutcast on multiple websites to get the maximum reach. Now, here are your hosts, members of the MPI team.
1: Good evening and welcome to Military Paranormal Radio. I'm Jeff. My name is Rob. And I'm Mike. And as always, before we begin, we need to stress that we are not affiliated to any branch of the military. And just to let you know, we are on
0: Podbean Broadcasting. You can find us at Military Paranormal Investigations or Military Paranormal. And as always, we like to give shout outs to all our new members that are subscribing to us. We have a Josie AB82, a Matt Baker035. Joshua Hall 181, Tamra underscore Davis 15, Scooter 06RB, 1Quantum, Dead Zombie 309, Brian Pertel, Fire at Will, and our newest one is CPR 0666. We also had a like on our last show from Mike6. And you can also find us, we've uh, started to put our Episodes on talkshoe.com. So go out there and look for Military Paranormal Investigations Radio, and you can find all five episodes that we have so far out there.
1: You can send us a message at radio show at militaryparanormal You can also find us at militaryparanormal.com. And just so you know, our online forms are back up. If you're having a possible issue at your at your residence, you can send us a message for a uh, requesting of an investigation.
0: And you can also find us on our forum. If you need to post something, find out a topic, or just want to check it out, you can go to militaryparanormal.com backslash forum. And you can also find us on our Facebook, Military Paranormal, all one word. You can
2: find us on Twitter at MPI underscore paranormal. We've got everything. All of our podcasts are going up to iTunes. So if you have an iDevice, you you can download it there. Just search for Military Paranormal Investigations. You'll be able to bring us right up. And we're on YouTube at Military Paranormal. If you go on there and you like and subscribe to us, once we get to 100, we can get our own URL. It will be a little easier to find us. So if you go in there and like that for us, that will help us out immensely.
0: Right now we are actually sitting at 16. I just looked about... Ten minutes ago, and we got a new subscriber out there. So. That's Good, see awesome. you.
1: Well, tonight's show is going to be very interesting. What we've done is we've each picked a topic that we find an interest in, and uh, we're going to talk to you about those topics. But before we go on, we need to remember we on our last show we had that EVP. We had an EVP that you played. Yeah, Mike, you weren't here for it, but I know you listened to it out there, and it's the one that we had in our last investigation that we
0: just did. We put it out there to find out what people might think that was out there. And we told them that we would go ahead and tell our version of what we thought it says. So I, I figured we can go ahead and let you listen to it because you haven't listened to it like we have. So we'll let you listen to it now and then go ahead and see if you can figure out what it says For because we didn't get any comments whatsoever on it. So right. we'll just tell you what we thought it was. So let me go ahead and pull that up for you real quick. Let's see what you think it says. It's not you. It's not you. It's not you. It's not you. All right, that that was normal sound, no enhancements. So now I'm going to turn up the volume for you. Tell me what you think it says now. And this is when you were in there and
1: you guys said that you heard a sound.
2: We kept hearing a growl. Mm-hmm. At
0: first we thought it was someone's
2: stomach. I don't think that's what it was now. Maybe we'll we'll get to that in the future. But
1: Yeah, Mike, I think before we go on and play that one more time, for those folks that may not have listened to the last show, Maybe give them a little bit of overview of where we were at and what was going on
2: well, and we talked about in one of our previous shows we were going to do an investigation you in know kind of our hot spot it 's where we go, and we need our paranormal fix and we were upstairs in a room. Uh, these rooms were reported to have been used as brothels back during the turn of the century, you know, uh, 1920s, 30s time frame. And you guys had just left in there, and you kind of had a couple of K2 hits, and somebody thought they might have saw something. and then Right. We, we went right up behind that, and we were in there, and there was was me and, and Allison. And we were standing right beside each other, and we heard this, what we thought was a stomach growl. And the first time, I thought that's what it was, and then as we were talking, we heard it again. So I think where we're at at this point in the audio clip is whenever somebody says that, I'm like, was that you? Uh, you know, Is that is that one of your stomachs that's doing this?
0: Right. All right. You heard it normal, so here's it turned up a little bit. It's not you. I heard
3: that again. It's from that. And that it's not you. I heard that again. It's from that. And that
2: it's not you. I heard that again. Coming from that. that it's not you. I think... What you hear is you say, you hear me say, that's not you. Right. And then right after that, you hear the other two females that were with me talking, and that's all we had up there. But what I hear is a female voice, and I did hear some of it through my headphones when I was listening at work. But what I hear in this, you can clearly hear it, was it's by me, which makes sense because I'll give you a little more backstory. For okay. It. We had been going along, and we had been listening As this happened, this growl moved from one side of the room. And and you're sure it wasn't a a stomach growl? It it was an actual growl? At first, I thought that's what it was. But it was consistent, but then it moved, and we didn't move. There was the wall. If you picture a square room, Mm -hmm. no one was there in the corner. And then there was Allison, and maybe a body's width apart from her was me in this corner. Everybody else was on the other side of the room. If you walked into a room, if you looked to your right, we would have been in that corner. Okay. And where we heard it was almost like where the light switch would be when you walked in a room, kind of right in that corner, right around the door as you well, come in. Speaking of
0: light switch, you and I talked about that earlier. Yeah, yeah. Oh, continue, but I'm sorry to interrupt you on that one. But yeah.
2: And then as it happened again a, a time or two, it moved to where it was actually literally in between me and Allison when it was making the sound. And at this time, and if you remember, we we talked about it when we got through with our investigation. Later on in the night, Jeff had felt like he got touched on the top of his head. Right. Well, in that room when we were hearing this behind us in the corner cuz we're standing Allison's on one wall, I'm on the other wall and their only space is like a body put apart in the corner and what we heard was coming from this corner between us, that's when Allison had said, "Well, that's when I felt like something touched me on top of the on the top of the head." And at that point in time, Jeff had not communicated to her it was I'm getting this information together. Right. So anyway, I think it says, it's by me.
1: I'll give you my take. I think it says, because it's by me. Yeah, that's the same thing I heard, because it's by Not because, yeah,
0: but because it's, it's by me, me yeah. is what I heard. So mm-hmm. it's close to what you said, and you and I agreed on the same thing. Right. Normally, when we're doing footage review and everything, the way that we approach an EVP is everyone will listen to it and we'll write down what we say it is, which is why we played it for the audience out there last week to see if we had anyone come and say what it was right but no one did so we'll just go ahead and we all wrote it down and you and i both agreed we heard the same thing And you hear semi to the same thing so let's play
1: it one more time at normal and i guess mike uh my question would be is you are 100 percent sure it was not one of your other female persons in the room with you
2: you know there was two in there there was it was Lori and allison and you can hear both of them okay responding to me when i say that's not you you can hear both of them responding to me and you hear that voice in the middle and the the thing is when you hear me it's almost drug out you yeah. know it's like yeah and i didn't hear that till tonight when we read right. that again i don't think you know if one of them had responded to me but, and also when i hear in this is the first female that's talking back which i think is lori saying something back to me you can hear her stepping over right the the me
1: Right. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we make sure that we tell all of our uh, investigators that are going in. When they do an EVP session, you definitely want to make sure that you don't whisper. Don't whisper, talk loud. And also when you ask a question or make a comment, you want to pause for a minute because that way if something is trying to communicate with you, you're not stepping over it. And we we were doing an actual
2: EVP session during this. We actually were asking questions and things like that, and what we were getting, though, is the growl sound that was coming back right. and, and, and we had some k2 hits and we're going to talk about it a little later in the show with the ovulus we were getting a lot of hits back on the ovulus but right. we're going to talk about that in our tape review but you know i know we're
1: going a little bit long on this but i just wanted to throw this out question out to you so do you believe that what audio you just got do you believe that that is a residual or would you feel that that is something that's actually interacting with you?
2: I think it's something interacting. You know, we've been in this building. We talked about it. It doesn't. Something in there doesn't like Rob. No, it doesn't like me at all. Um, we didn't really have any negative things towards Rob that we found so far. We haven't been through all of the all of the. Well, don't footage forget, yet. I, I really didn't go up and investigate right. this time. Right. I was strictly down in ops. I'll tell you guys, and I'll be straight up honest with you. There was a point in time that I thought that maybe this was something I didn't want to be messing with. because I remember you saying. when And that's when I came down and got you guys. I kind of called that team, Mm -hmm. and we said, hey, we're going to go down for a minute. After we left that room, we went to another room, and we heard the same growl in that room coming from a corner, and that's where we heard it when we went back up the next time.
0: Right, when all three of us went
2: up. But we caught something on audio we listened to that night in ops, and I have not got a chance to go in and actually listen to that and try to enhance it because we heard something that responded. But what I heard was something, almost like the first time we investigated, telling me to get out. Now we caught something on audio during the time that I heard that, but I didn't hear that. But what scared me a little bit about it, kind of got my my feelings up on edge, was this growl happened about twenty times total. Now we caught. I know that we caught some of those on audio, and I think we're going to play that maybe in a future show. But right, the one we do a full analysis of it. But my thoughts were, is it. If something has the energy to growl, which it doesn't, just because you get a growl doesn't mean it's demonic or anything right. like that. But it happened over and over and over again. It's something that had that much energy to keep making this happen. It kind of concerned me a minute. And that's why I came and got you guys, because I wanted you guys to get your take on what was happening. And then you kind of had an uneasy feeling. And things. Right. I don't think, I think it was intelligent. I don't think, uh, you know, this was kind of our a training session for some of us. Yeah. We had a lot of people in the building. I think what it was is something didn't want us there and was trying to make that known. I do think it was intelligent, though. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I I remember when we were doing setup in that first room, we saw something move Move. in the back corner. Mm -hmm. Several people saw that. Right. So when we went back up there, I know that I was sitting down, and you were, like, onto my left, and you were a little bit behind me, and something over my right shoulder, I heard a growl as well. So I don't know if that was the same thing, and I didn't even listen to the that DAR's footage yet to know if I actually heard something with right. the ear and with the DAR picked right. up. I'm really
2: curious because we got that on the DAR, the portable DAR that we carried with us. I'm really curious to listen to the stationary ones to see what they picked up. We didn't have one in that room. That's why we carried the portable one with right. us. Uh, that room really wasn't one of our hot spots we were looking at going to. But when we heard the growl the second time, we actually had a stationary one in there, and it would have been closer to where I heard the voice that I heard, yeah, and I'm curious to see what it says, and I just haven't gotten to that area in the review. Well, if
0: you heard a growl, I can back up the audio to the parts where it looks like there's a little bit of a noise in there, according to the the graph, so I can back it up, and maybe you could tell us what that might be. So here, let me back this up.
2: You need to tell me your name. Doing here. When I said you need to tell me your name, if you heard right after that, there was a little sound there. I don't think you can pick it up it's not and actually hear it. Yeah, that, so you need to tell me your name.
0: It should be right about here. Did you hear that? Well, I think that was, that was someone that was saying,
2: Cliff saying, there was. That's what I think that that part is. Okay. So we didn't quite catch it there. I what think are you doing here.
0: See, there was something, there was a little click there, but I don't.
2: Yeah. Uh, there's And, and we're going to play it for, I hope we get to play it for, for these guys, maybe at one of our, our next radio shows. But there's two spots that I know when we listen to the, the portable audio back in the in ops that we caught the growl, and you could hear it. And, and we were playing it over the loudspeakers in the trailer, and you could hear it well. So anyway, I, I think that we'll be able to hear the growl so that they know what we were kind of in response to. Yeah, I was
1: just going ahead. So you, you think that part right there? Yeah, because it's by me. You can definitely hear that. And and you guys know.
2: And another little piece of the backstory for our listeners: we have caught multiple EVPs in here. We've caught female. We've caught male. We've caught multiple male voices, There's always seems to be one that seems to be a little angrier than the others. And I kind of personally, what my thoughts are is there's something that doesn't want us in there, which is what the growl is. He's trying to scare us out of the building. Okay. And then I think that the female voice that we capture in this here is saying, hey, it's not me. She's actually, I think that's an intelligent haunt there that's coming back and saying, hey. I I can see how
0: you would come to that conclusion. Yeah. I can see that. Now I'll go ahead and, and get it to where it's. It's not, it's not you. It's not you.
2: It's not you. Yeah, see, and I, I hear the because the part that you're talking about. Because right. it's by me. It's kind of real.
0: So that would make sense because you both are two different people mm-hmm. are saying it's somewhere over there. And then if it's answering because it's by me, it, then, yeah, I would I would say that it's something intelligence interacting with you. So
1: Okay.
2: So hopefully you guys enjoyed that a little bit. I think we'll kind of move on into our uh, our main topics, and now we're each going to talk about something. I think at the end of the show, though, we're we were yeah, we
0: got another one that we had from an investigation that we had probably about a good four or five years oh, ago. Yeah, I think five years at uh, least. Yeah, it's uh, I don't want to go too much in detail because yeah. we'll be getting off topic. But stay tuned for after the commercial break. And before we get into our last topic, we'll uh go ahead and play that one for you. So the different topics, different paranormal topics. I know. Uh, you weren't here with us last week, but we decided to, each one of us, pick a topic, just random topic. What would we want to pick? I, and me, I, I decided to go one that I really like, okay, the Bermuda Triangle. Everyone knows what the Bermuda Triangle is, right? You, you got that triangle that goes from Miami on up to Bermuda down to Puerto Rico to make a triangle. The legends about the strange area have always been known for pretty much about 100 years. But nobody can still explain the strange phenomena that's going on, that's in, taking place in that triangle, or can they? It's a legendary area of the Atlantic Ocean in which, in the opinion of many explorers, a lot of unaccountable events do happen. Or do they actually, Mike?
2: I, You know, I think that there are some strange happenings. Okay. I have my own theory, but I'm going to let you keep talking All right. a little bit. Right.
0: So nobody knows exactly how the Bermuda Triangle came into existence. Or do they know? I, like I said, was really big on the Bermuda Triangle because planes disappear there, boats disappear, different people. And so I did my research on it. I wanted to find out exactly how the Bermuda Triangle came about. Biggest thing that came about was Flight 19. For those of you who don't know, Flight 19 was a flight of five Avenger bombers that were taken off from Fort Lauderdale, and they are supposed to do a bombing run. It was called Navigation Problem. So they were going to do a bombing run. Up around the Bermuda Island, all in all, they pretty much disappeared without a trace. And then another plane, rescue plane went up there, and that plane disappeared without a trace as well. And because it was so popular back then, it just kept going around from Flight 19 to other things started happening. And different people started doing different stories on this. The Bermuda Triangle coin phrase didn't happen until about 1964. And that was done by Vincent Gaddis. All right, he's an American writer. But before that, there's a bunch of conspiracy theories, and that's what I wanted to do mine on, was going from how did the Bermuda Triangle start up? So I was doing all my research, found all these different conspiracy theories, and I was like, Cool, I'm on the right track. And they said that the I guess you could say inventors of the Bermuda Triangle were three individuals. You had George X. Sand, Vincent Gaddis, who coined the phrase Bermuda Triangle, and then the last person was Charles Berlitz, and he's a uh, so-called expert in paranormal. So I want to do my research on those three individuals. So the first one, George X. Sand, he titled a little article called Sea Mystery at Our Back Door. And as the title says, it's a mystery. Bermuda Triangle was not coined then. So he wrote this article, and I actually pulled up the article from the University of Arizona Library. And basically he goes in there and he talks about sea mystery at our back door. And he talks about in this watery region off the coast of Florida, ships and aircraft vanish without leaving a single clue. And he goes in there and he starts talking about the different ships. The first one was a 350-foot length square-cut tramp steamer that sailed from Savannah, Georgia with 300 tons of insecticide that was supposed to be delivered to Porto Cabal of Venezuela, but it never made it there. Somewhere within the area that he talks about, within this triangle watery and he talks about it going from Miami to Puerto Rico to Bermuda. Within that one, and he talks about within that triangle, the region involved is a watery triangle boundary roughly from Florida, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico. measures less than a 1,000 miles on any one side, a small area on a mariner's map, and is an hourly being plogged by vessels of many nations. So that means tons of vessels are going through this one. And he keeps on going talking about, the different ones that are disappearing. And he goes on in his article, and he says, On December fifth, 1945, five Navy Avenger-type torpedo bombers roared away from the Naval Air Station at Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It was to have been a routine flight that ended in one of the greatest peacetime searches in history. And once more, not a single trace was found. There were 14 men aboard those bombers as the hours passed, anxious buddies back at the base, and other aircraft out of patrol listening and hopeful on the radio channels but no one word came telling the whereabouts of the missing flyers. The last routine message received at 525 that gusty afternoon and had given the position the flight at 75 miles northeast of the uh, Banna River in Florida Naval Air Station. Basically, they were about 200 miles off the northeast Miami coast. And pretty much they're talking about how they lost track of time. In this story, they – they don't go into detail, but they don't talk about everything that's going on with those five bombers. They say they really didn't hear anything from them. Uh, one of the first rescue craft to go off the water was a Navy PM, huge Martin Mariner bomber with a crew of 13 that had been trained for just that work, and they went ahead, took off. They don't know where they went as well. But in this story, like I said, it doesn't go into everything. I went and did the research on the flight 19, and in they were talking to these pilots the entire time.
2: Yeah, I, I, that's what I was, whenever you were saying that, they didn't make contact. I mean, everything that I've read said that, you know, the pilot was calling back, and he was. there was one time that his gauges were malfunctioning yes. and things like that. So, I, yeah, that, that didn't make sense. When exactly,
0: that's what I mean. I, I, and I was reading this story, I actually read everything, and all he does is account for all the missing vessels, Flight 19 being the most famous one. And then he ends up with another DC-10 for a Christmas flight that was coming back from Puerto Rico, gone on to uh, Miami, that never made it there. It just goes on and on. And then he talks about a horse jockey that won some derby. And then he and two buddies got on a boat, went fishing out there off the Florida coast. Uh, They wanted to go inland to the swamps a little bit, so they left their, their big vessel, got on a little boat, and went into the swamps. Well, a storm happened. And then the vessel that they were on originally that they rented turned up without them. Well, of course it turned up without them because they weren't on there. So this led to a big search. Everyone was looking for the the boat. They finally found the little boat that they were in, or they found an oar first. Yeah, they found an oar from the boat that they were in probably a good 60 miles from where the, the main boat was. And then later on, through searching in the swamps, they found the other pieces of the boat. But because it was so close within that Bermuda Triangle, they linked it to the Bermuda Triangle. If you go on Wikipedia, it talks about that the guy drowned on a fishing year expedition. Nothing about the Bermuda Triangle. They didn't try and intertwine it. And so the mysteries just go on. It's, it's a storybook, pretty much, in this article. And then in 1946, the next guy, Vincent Gaddis, he's an American writer that coined the term off of an article of, Artisky, Artisky basically was a magazine that started back in 1888 that was telling weekly children's stories. Well, then in 1905, it turned into a pulp fiction magazine, and then in the 1920s, it turned into a magazine that told a bunch of sci-fi and a bunch of western fiction, all fictional characters. This guy was a fictional writer, and so all he did was take everything that George Sand put in there. And made a little twist on it. Made stories. Exactly. Made stories to to it. And make it more entertaining. Exactly. And he talks about 1963, uh, two KC 135 four inch stratotypers took off from Homestead Air Force Base, South Miami, Florida, on a classified refueling mission over the Atlantic. Crews totaled 11 men. The weather was clear. At noon, the planes radioed their position as 800 miles northeast of Miami and 300 miles west of Bermuda. The planes were new in radio contact and with each other and they were not flying close enough together, according to an Air Force spokesperson. The planes vanished. And then he also talks about the Flight 19, and he gives the exact same story that the other guy gave, only he leaves out a couple of details. But the way that he coined the the term Bermuda Triangle is draw a line from Florida to Bermuda, another from Bermuda to Puerto Rico, and a third line back to Florida through the Bahamas. Within this area, it is known as the Bermuda Triangle. He basically took what the first article did and he just swapped the words. But he has it as saying the Bermuda Triangle. And because he went in there and told about all these stories again, once again, he's a writer telling fiction. okay? But now it's piqued everyone's interest because at the same time, this is around the era if you think back. Even though this is 1964, radios. okay, Everything was radio. What was the big radio show that threw mass panic? Do you remember that one? War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, exactly. So it was around that time area still. It was 1930 that the War of the Worlds happened, and then 1945 is when Flight 19 disappeared, became public knowledge about that one because the searches went on for uh, weeks looking for the wreckage. And then 1964, we get this guy going on and talking about the Bermuda Trial. Also, paranormal stuff is starting to pick up, and then we have Charles Bennett's an expert, okay, quote, expert in the field of paranormal. We all know that there's really no right. experts in paranormal, it's all theories. He's the author of the 1974 book titled the Bermuda Triangle. In the book, Charles elaborates upon several theories that perpulated disappearances. One of those theories state the Bermuda Triangle is actually a byproduct of the destruction of Atlantis. He was a big study on Atlantis and talked about how Atlantis was probably right there. Now, For those of you that don't know where Bermuda Triangle is, it's off the Florida coast, but it's actually a mountain from a volcanic eruption in the seafloor. Back before the ice age, it rose up, and it was higher than the Grand Canyon. And once we had the polar ice caps melt, the sea level rose, and it still left a big, good chunk up there. But over the years, millions of years, you had erosion, and it finally became a plateau. So as the water rose and the erosion happened, you have this nice plateau. Well, because of all the erosion and everything, you have all that limestone around there. If you watch the History Channel or anything like that, they talk about all the different shipwrecks around Bermuda, over 1,000 shipwrecks around Bermuda. Well, that's because they kept colliding into this mountain that they didn't know was there. Anyone that doesn't really know about that, uh, you can find Confederate steamships down there, right off the coast, but it's because they ran into this limestone that will tear any any hole up, and it would sink. Well, because it's also a volcanic area, you also have methane gas pockets. Now, you get any type of methane gas that floats to the top and bursts as a bubble, the water density is going to diminish. And if you've got a boat that's going across there as it happens, it's going to swallow that boat whole and go sink straight to the bottom.
2: Now, I'll, I'll say I watched a study where they... They had they tried to actually MythBusters did a deal on that where they tried to make Mm -hmm. buoyancy less, and I think everybody's kind of concluded that they say that the methane won't typically cause the boat to rapidly sink. Right, what it could do if you're trucking along through there, it could cause you to become un. Stable. Right. The
0: buoyancy. Right. right.
2: It could cause you to, to falter or something, that, then you have an issue. And, and I'm going to see if you go there. I'm gonna, I ain't going to interrupt you anymore. Because no, no, no. no. Have the I, to I, want to I want this
0: discussion. I want this discussion. Because like I said, the Bermuda Triangle was a big thing with me. I, I really liked the Bermuda Triangle. But it goes on that, uh, like I said, he wanted to try and tie in Atlantis being there. Now, this is a whole other show because you and I were talking about this on the way here. They claimed that they found an old road down there around within the Atlantic Ocean. okay, Off of Bermuda. Off of Bermuda. All right. Now, if that road is actually there, and if you do any type of research on the Lost City of Atlantis, Lost City was the land bridge between the west and the east. If you had that land bridge there, that could possibly explain why the Egyptians have pyramids and why the Mayans have pyramids. Because you could go back and forth on that land bridge because Atlantis was supposed to be the technologically city. You don't want to get me going there. <laughs> that's why I said this is a whole nother show, another theory. But this is what this guy is trying to prove, that that theory is there. So I can see that. I didn't read his book in time, but I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Well, I start going more research into this guy Litz because I, for one, and we all agree that there's no experts in the paranormal field, just a bunch of people that have it as a hobby, and they do a lot of research on it, which we do as well. So there's another guy that wrote another book. Remember, this guy's book was in 1974. A Larry Cush, in 1975, wrote The Bermuda Triangle Mystery Solved, in which he cites errors in the reports of the missing ships, and also said that if Blitz quote, if Blitz were to report that a boat were red, the chances of it being some other color is a most certainty. He's saying that this guy is lying in this book. All these accounts that they're trying to build up is wrong. And Kutch also went to the Coast Guard and the Navy to confirm some of the reports in that book. And the Coast Guard and the Navy both confirmed the, the false reports. So we know that The Bermuda Triangle is led on a bunch of stories. And the article that put it out does fiction. The writer was a fictional writer. This guy, Charles Blitz, an expert in the paranormal field, self-proclaimed, all his theories were proved to be wrong as well. I started doing some research on some of the things as well. The things that they both put in, the very first one and the second one um, that uh, George Sand put in, And the one that the other guy put in, um, Vincent Gaddis, both their accounts were missing out important clues, both of them, especially with Flight 19. There was a bunch in Flight 19. I was like, well, that didn't happen. Because one of the key things in Flight 19 is the main guy, uh, the main commander that was leading them, he did call back and said that all the instruments were messing up, and He was stationed before Fort Lauderdale. He was stationed down in Miami. So being stationed down in Miami, you would do flight runs around there. He would know the Florida Keys. They go past this area, and if their instruments are wrong, and the reason a lot of their instruments are wrong, because for some strange reason you have a magnetic pull out there, and the compass doesn't always point to the true north. It's pointing to, like, Ireland north or Greenland, Iceland north. So... You have to get that compass to offset, and if you don't know that about the area, you can get lost out there. Especially with the instrumentation that they had, they were strictly instruments. They didn't have the GPS that we have now. Strictly instrument flying, and if a compass is doing that weird thing, you're not going to know where you're at. Well, and and that's part of the thing, you
2: know. You talk about true north and magnetic north. If it's off, I think it's what it's like two and a half degrees. I yeah, mean, two and a half, know, something like that. Two and a half degrees, but it's it's changing as you move. Whenever you yes. have the magnetic fluctuations there. So as they try to correct for this, Mm -hmm. they're constantly changing direction and going the wrong direction.
0: Yes. Now, they were all trained that if they lose instruments, fly west. Because of where they were, they would have ran into the United States. They would have ran into the East Coast somewhere if they just would have flown west. They tried to get the instructor to do that. Now, I also did some research on the instructor. The instructor three times had to ditch his plane because he would get lost occasionally. And run out of fuel. See, I didn't. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. That's so he would occasionally do this. And there was another flight instructor on the flight deck getting ready to take out his crew. And he was listening to this, and he's like, look, do you want me to come get you guys? And he was like, no, 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 I, I, I see broken land right now. Um, I believe we're over the Florida Keys now. So if you're over the Florida Keys, you're going to head north now. Yep. So if you look on a map where Bermuda is, Now, granted, you also got to take into account that the visibility wasn't that great out there because there was also storms and stuff. Well, if you see broken islands down there, you would think they're the Florida Keys. Okay, Granted, he was only there for six months in Miami, but still, broken islands, you think that you're down there. okay? Well, if you look on a map just west of Bermuda, you would see broken land as well, another chain of islands. So he could have thought that that was it, and then fly north. Now, if he flew north and they ran out of fuel, which everyone speculates that happened, north of the Bermuda Triangle is the Gulf jet stream that comes out of the Gulf and goes around. If he landed anywhere in that jet stream, you're not going to find any wreckage. Well, yeah,
2: and that's where I was going to – earlier when I said I want to see if you go there. I just watched a special the other day that they found a shipwreck that they they thought was part of – there was another search Mm -hmm. that happened in there. And they know its last known coordinates when it sunk. Right. Well, these people were diving, looking for Flight 19. Actually, they were looking for the, um, they got a big sonar hit, and they thought it was the uh, the search plane that went after Flight 19. Right. So they dove down on it, and they find this ship. Well, they get the clues and some of the things off the ship, and the only, they ended up determining that it was the ship that sunk, and it was 150 miles south of there where it sunk. The the, the Gulf Stream moved that ship 150 miles in the other direction exactly. from where it actually its last known coordinates were, so yeah, that that's my you know if Flight 19 cra- went north, flat crashed there, they're never going to find them because never. You think about how far it took a ship, and now you think you take it, you take an Avenger, right?
0: Which weighs now, granted the Avenger, less. right? The Avenger was built for buoyancy, so if they, they, but it hits the water, at exactly 150 mile an hour. At, yeah, yeah. Granted, they say a crash like that, they'll stay afloat long enough to get their life vests out and life rafts and be able to do that. But even there, if they are caught in that jet stream, they're never going to be found. And then the Avenger that went out looking for them, they get out there and there's another uh, ship that sees a mid-air explosion. If you get a mid-air explosion up there and then the Avenger can't be found around the same time, that and same coordinates where they were supposed to go. Granted when they got there where they thought the wreckage was happening, there was no oil spills, no nothing. But again, again, immediately
2: below the surface, which I know it runs deep, but you have surface currents there I think are like seven or eight knots. Exactly. Just that's without wind or any
0: of those sorts of things. So yeah, it that could have gone away. So I think with the mixture of the two stories plus that book elaborating, and he's a paranormal expert, self-proclaimed back then. I think that's where a lot of the theories came about. And so just some of the other theories, um, like you and I were talking about, the most obvious probably would be human error. The pilot instructor. Right. Okay, not listening to his other guy saying, okay, fly west, head towards the sun. That's the way you need to go to try and find your way So human error, that's the most obvious and also the most officially held reason for all of the most unexplained disappearances in the Bermuda Triangle right now. That's the most common one. Compass reading anomalies. That's another one. The fact that the compass reading go haywire in the Bermuda Triangle is something most conspiracy theorists rely on to back up most of the unbelievable alien, UFO, extraterrestrial, or paranormal activity theories. So the compasses, I don't know if I'm leaning more towards it being... Alien, but I think because of what you were talking about the true north versus the magnetic north. I think that's why the compasses mess up there. So another one is going to be the Gulf Stream that we've talked about as well. A lot of theories regarding the Bermuda Triangle disappearance revolve around the Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream is a major ocean current that runs from the Gulf of Mexico into the North Atlantic through the Straits of Florida. The current driven by the circulation acts more like a river than an ocean. By achieving speeds of 2.5 meters per second, Any wreckage debris or even an aircraft that had to make an emergency water landing here could easily be pulled miles from its reported position in a matter of minutes, making things worse some of the world's deepest trenches which lie beneath these waters, some as deep as 28,000 feet. One may imagine that should something fall into these depths, it's gone forever, right? I would think so. The uh, methane deposits that we were talking about. A lot of theorists believe that the disappearance in the imbunerated triangle are due to the methane hydrate deposits found under the ocean beds on the recent continental shelves. Most laboratory experiments have confirmed that the bubbles caused by periodic methane bubble eruptions can sink ships by increasing the density of the water which they float. The loss of buoyancy can happen unexpectedly and often without warning, causing ships to go down so rapidly there is no way to send out SOS signals. Many argue, however, that methane hydrate deposits are found in several ocean floors across the world and the immune triangle carries no greater risk to ships than the methane bubbles that some other place might have. I can see that one as well. Next one, unpredictable and volatile weather. Hurricanes happen out there all the time. You have tropical storms, cyclones, since the 1500s. So that can always be a theory. One of the out there ones could be time warpings, which I know you were talking a little bit about. Yeah, that's my least believed theory is, uh, you know, they they talk about the
2: uh, miniature microscopic black hole. Because a black hole, I mean, it's, I watched this article that talked about you know a black hole the size of a pin of a head would suck in our entire solar yeah. system or something. So uh, yeah, that's I, I think that's the most asinine one there.
0: Yeah, they say the conspiracy theorists have some really great theories about what could have gone down. why most sound ridiculous to to the sane and logical ears, they definitely make for entertaining reads. Which I completely agree on that one. They talk about how the space-time continuum can suddenly find themselves in the same location at different times. Or most of the stories that happen out, if they go through the time warps, they end up in the French Revolution. Yeah. That's what most stories are. So do we have a wormhole, if you would, to the French Revolution? Go see Napoleon or something? you know? Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you have the lost city of Atlantis. Now, granted, Plato had surmised that the ancient city of Atlantis flourished in 9600 B.C., he claimed that it was the greatest civilization ever, so far advanced in science, technology, and art that even modern-day knowledge of today cannot compare with it. Yet a single charismatic event is supposed to have wiped out the city in a single day and night. The theorists believe that the Reunion Triangle has leftover technology or radiation from this very city, which many believe still exists and is the center of the triangle, right in the is where they say the lost city of Atlantis is. So if you have all these anomalies, if you would, Disappearance, they're claiming that even if it was submerged down there, it would still go ahead and bring everything down to that area.
3: I'm
0: not a big believer if that's the case, but Lost City of Atlantis, another good one. Like I said, whole nother show. And then UFO and alien abductions. They claim that the Muna Triangle is where the aliens and UFOs go to simultaneously get humans and ships and all that and take them to wherever they're going to take them to and do the experiments on them. The theorists explain that events such as what happened to the Mary Celeste or even the Cyclops, uh, two other boats, ships, if you would, with alien interest in us humans and other activities. Apparently, aliens are so interested in studying humans that they really love abducting a few every once in a while to conduct research on them. It seems that around the time of the mysterious disappearances, They were particularly active in that region, making their favorite human induction spot. UFOs, of course, alien spaceships, even had the power to teleport objects such as large ships and planes, which explains why no one else has ever found the floating debris. Uh, I'm still leaning more towards the jet stream. Now, also in the Bermuda Triangle, something that's been around for years, pirates. Pirates have been active in the oceans for centuries now, and even though incidences of ocean piracy are certainly on a decrease now, pirate activity was definitely high during the time of the mysterious Bermuda Triangle disappearances. Now, now, was it all the same time within the 40s and everything? Yeah, because you don't, like I said, you don't have the technology to avoid ships coming up. You don't know. You had to see them coming, but if you had a pirate coming, it was too late then. Another one would be gravity fields. That's one of the lesser-known theories about what is really wrong with the Bermuda Triangle And is that the, the theory of the gravitational mass cons or mass concentration of gravitational pools, just like everywhere else, every single inch of every single celestial body, actually there is some sort of positive as well as some sort of gravitational pull. Though no one yet knows what causes them, it's still a well-known fact that they're probably sitting on them without even knowing it. So there's a gravitational pull everywhere. Everywhere that we are, there's a gravitational pull. And then the last one is that the Bermuda Triangle does not exist. Yes, there is a triangle, and it was coined in a book, but does it actually exist? Many theorists believe that the Bermuda Triangle actually does not exist, and the only reason there is so much speculation about it today is because of inventive writers who saw great stories where none existed. Many believe that considering the vast stretch of water that falls under the Bermuda Triangle umbrella, the disappearances of sea and air vessels is completely on path with disappearance and drownings everywhere else on Earth. Since equal or more number of oceanic events take place in other heavily trafficked parts of the world, the events occurring in the Bermuda Triangle are far less in comparison. Even Lloyd's Maritime Information, now for those of you who don't know them, Lloyd's Maritime Information Services in London basically tell you exactly where the most high-risk places are for... Lloyd's is an entrance and underwriting. Exactly. So they can tell you exactly how much... Insurance or high-risk activity, if you would, would be around a certain area. Bermuda Triangle isn't even on their list. Not at all. It's not one of the high-risk ones. So does it exist? Is it just made up? Because, you know, all legends begin with some sort of truth to a story, but then over time they lose certain key elements to the truth of the story, and then you have your legends, which I'm leaning to believe now the, the Bermuda Triangle is more of a legend than an actual phenomena so that's your take on it you
2: think it's you think it's uh more of a fable
0: i think so now yeah after doing that research yeah here here's my take i mean y'all know i'm a
2: big alien guy yeah okay i don't believe that's what's going on here do i think that that may have occurred there yeah
0: as far as the alien abductions yeah
2: i mean if our alien sightings or alien anomalies of some sort Okay. Do I think that may have occurred in the Bermuda Triangle? Why not? Why, if it happens in Missouri, why can't it happen in the well, Missouri? Well, yeah, I agree with that one. Now, the Navy supposedly has a base somewhere in that area, too. It's got an underwater deal. It's for research and things like right. that. Too. It's a big underwater deal. A lot of alien conspiracy theorists have said this is a joint UFO Navy base, and they all meet together and stuff like that, but... I don't think I buy that uh, yet. Um
0: <laughs> although
2: there is a lot of stories in the area about an underwater alien base out there. Right. I don't think that has to do with the Bermuda Triangle. I think the geomagnetic forces mm-hmm. are probably what causes most of the things that happen that start to go wrong. Okay. You have rogue waves. Yeah. You know, you know you have the weather out there. You've got I mean that's a that's a that's nature in its finest right there. Mm-hmm. You have do you might might you have a ufo incident maybe i think all of those factors combined mm-hmm. leave a mis- a mystery yeah to exactly
0: it. a mystery to it
2: and then i think that the gulf stream you know if you if you anybody's ever seen the the videos of the like the helicopters flying over and showing the shipwrecks in there mm-hmm. that gives it the creepy factor right and things like that but i think that those there, it's proven that there are geomagnetic forces. Yes, that are different in that area. There's an area in Mexico that's the same way. Um, I think that some of that, especially like you said earlier, in the days of just instrumentation and not having GPS and long-range, you know, communications radar and you know, that really made it mysterious. And that's what coined the term B-meter Triangle. Do I think weird stuff happens there? Yeah but I think it's probably explainable by some sort of scientific. Yes. Maybe it's not understood all the way yet, but I don't think it's anything paranormal. Exactly. I I don't either. Again, do I think that maybe there is a paranormal incident that's occurred there? Probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's, there's
2: and we'll go off on Atlantis later in a different episode. I don't think it's at Bermuda.
0: Okay. Now, there is one other thing that they claim that is going on in Bermuda, and that's the electric fog. What do you know about that? They said there's only been one guy that has gone through that.
2: Yes, and he was a, a pilot that flew. A Cessna. And, and it had the uh, spirals and, yep. the, and the stuff like that. You know, again, we talk about geomagnetic forces. You talk about all of those sorts of things. Could there have been some sort of anomaly that's happened? When you start having magnetic forces, we know as paranormal investigators, you start having psychological yep. effects and things like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't think now, so
0: either. He's also the only person that's ever witnessed that. Right. So there's no substantial evidence to back up his claim as he's the only human to ever witness that. However, there has been other incidences that they've had paranormal or not paranormal but electronic fog. Well Philadelphia experiment.
2: Yeah. But what was that? But we created that. That was a government conspiracy.
0: Thing. Exactly. You know <laughs> what I mean?
2: Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that um you know we talked about it during the during the ghost stuff. You know, you have something that happens. You have the fog. Well, do I think that an electromagnetic force could possibly create a difference in atmosphere? And I, I'm not a scientist in that aspect of things, but is there a reason that's behind that? I would have to say there's probably another explainable reason mm-hmm. than to just all of a sudden
1: jump off on a paranormal trip. Yeah, I, th- totally. That, that's agree. my. You're over
0: there awfully quiet, Jeff.
1: Well. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a whole lot to say, but I was, when I was doing the, the research, because I knew what you were going to talk about, I went to the History Channel and I found it interesting that they have quoted in here, when Christopher Columbus sailed through the area on his first voyage to the New World, he reported that a giant flame of fire, probably a meteor, crashed into the sea one night and then a strange light appeared in the distance a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. It goes on to state that he also wrote about erratic compass readings, perhaps because at the time, a sliver of the Bermuda Triangle was one of the few places on Earth where true north and magnetic north lined up. Right. So we actually have reports Mm -hmm. of incidences going on in the area as far back as Christopher Columbus. With the same ones, the the compass. And I think it's uh, Christopher Columbus was known to...
2: I believe it was, if I remember this correctly, was known to like his drink. Well, yeah. <laughs> and now, he, his report, his UFO report, because it's been labeled as that, is actually a pretty good one, and he talks about it comes up. His crew even has identified that it hovered over the horizon and things like that. Could have that been a UFO report? Possibly. But I think I, I think that what you just said again, and I meant to go on this, I still think that the magnetic and the true north variances, when you're following, if you know, you know, you're going out hiking, and you take your compass, and you're looking mm-hmm. at the north. It's, you're following this, and this is what you train to do. And this is, you know, you're, I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go north. I'm going to go how many degrees this way or whatever. Well, when that magnetic and true north match up, like we were saying just then, and you're off two and a half degrees. Now, think about this just a minute. You take a degree wheel. Somebody, if you're sitting at home listening, you take a degree wheel. But now go a mile in the wrong direction at two and a half degrees. Mm-hmm. Go 100 miles in the wrong direction at two and a half degrees. You get off immensely. Yeah, and as that thing changes, as you move throughout that deal, that area with the compass readings fluctuating because of that, people talk about you always steer right. You know, you get lost, you always walk in circles, that sort of stuff. As this thing changes, and you're going north, and I'm trying to explain this best I like, can. You're trying to go north, and you're off two and a half degrees. But now, when you go a hundred feet, you're trying to go north again, and you're off two and a half degrees. Before you know, you know it. You're not just off two and a half degrees. You've completely made right. a forty-five degree turn. Mm-hmm. I think that's what most of the anomalies out there are, and I think that people go out there, they see these methane bursts, they see mm. these weird things that happen. When you're out on the open ocean like that, too, you see, you know, it's you dark. can see it a lot clearer, right. yeah, and you can see a lot right. of things. And, right. and I think there's just a lot of
1: yeah, and I and I think for me, growing up, I grew up in Homestead, which is right in that near that area, and you know, you get your hurricanes that roll through and your bad weather, and yeah, I do believe that it's a lot of it's error pilot error, boat captain error, whatever it might be, and there are explainable reasons for these accidents.
2: And it has only been recently that scientists have accepted rogue waves. Yes. 25 years ago, ship captains didn't talk about rogue waves because they thought they were going to be made fun of, like airline pilots seeing a UFO. UFO, And until that cruise liner hit by the rogue
0: wave and caught it on film, nobody – Well, a lot of times they also talked about it being a sea monster. Mm Mm-hmm being yeah. underneath, causing that rogue wave. Right. So, I think that was the myth. Yeah, where that's the, where the myths meth- came from. Or the methane. Well, the methane ones, well, I think yeah. that's where the sea, the sea monster myth stuff came from, yeah. too. But, but that's pretty much where my take is on the Bermuda Triangle. Like I said, I was big on the Bermuda Triangle and all the conspiracy theories going on there, but there's really not a conspiracy theory. Science can explain it. Yeah. It's explainable. And
2: even if it can't explain it, there are many scientific theories to venture off on Exactly, yeah. yes. Right. Before
0: going on to yeah. a... a Atlantis and all that but
1: like okay. I said that's another
0: show Black Holes Black Holes yeah, yeah. so how about you Jeff
1: <laughs> okay uh, do we want to go into my topic or yeah. do we need to take a commercial break
0: let's take a break alright well, well, I guess we can go on a break how about that you want to do right.
1: a break alright well let's do a break and then uh, we'll come into my topic alright you're listening to Military Card Investigation for you you
3: takes to be a paranormal investigator or would you like to be part of a new online research team military paranormal investigations has openings in both areas there are no requirements for experience equipment or even an advanced understanding of the paranormal just a desire for the truth MPI membership acceptance is primarily based on character and level of commitment to the organization. MPI is looking for dedicated individuals with certain personalities that are willing to investigate the paranormal with an open mind. We are not an outlet to investigate or experience the paranormal through the thrill of a ghost hunt. If you are truly interested in learning the ways to research and explain the paranormal with a professional team, then Military Paranormal Investigations is for you. MPI personnel use their individual experiences and knowledge from different backgrounds to help explain possible reasons for any claimed paranormal activity. We are skeptics dedicated to finding facts by eliminating or revealing any possible scientific explanations for such phenomena. For more information or to apply for membership, visit www.MilitaryParanormal.com or email us at contact.us at mpi-paranormal.com. The truth is to be found.
0: Not available in all areas. Safety reasons all athletes must be 16 years old. Paranormal study may cause heart attacks, dear death, or hospital possession. Monica Rudder. MPI is not responsible for any injuries or discount caused by anything paranormal in order. Brought to you by military paranormal investigations. No affiliation to any branch of military. Life is what you make it. Only if you just believe. believe. Enjoy the trip. Enjoy the
1: trip. Good This presenter is on medication. Anything can happen. This worse. Welcome back. This is Jeff. I'm Rob. And I'm Mike. In our last uh, topic, we talked about the Bermuda Triangle or right, the conspiracies of the Bermuda Triangle.
0: That is, yeah,
1: that is correct. The topic that I want to go into is one that I found very interesting. And have you ever felt like when you were going to sleep or you're waking up that all of a sudden you felt like you couldn't move? Yeah, that's happened to me once or twice. How about have you ever felt like you were afraid of something, but you couldn't cry out for help? Everything, it took every ounce of energy you tried to, but you couldn't do it. Do, do you feel that this could be paranormal? And
0: Well, I've heard people claim that they have some sort of paranormal experience because when they wake up,
1: they feel like something is on top of them. Right. That they can't move. Right. And I have as well. I personally have never experienced anything like this. I mean, I've woke up and, and felt like there was someone in the room with me, but I never felt like I couldn't move or couldn't speak. How about you, Mike? No, I'm, I'm never, I've
2: never. I've had a paranormal experience where I maybe was a little too frightened to say anything, but I,
1: I could have moved. But Okay, well, with doing my research on this, I think there can be a great explanation for this phenomenon. It's actually called sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is a feeling of being conscious but unable to move. The original meaning of sleep paralysis was actually defined by Dr. Samuel Johnson in about 1755. And it actually, the actual word before sleep paralysis was nightmare, believe it or not. Nightmare, was it? Yep. It, and it was termed, uh, that evolved into our modern definition of sleep paralysis.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Sleep paralysis was uh, considered to be a work of the demons and to be more specific, it's called incubi which were thought to sit on the chest of sleepers. I know I've seen those stories and heard those stories In- of incubus. And uh, mm-hmm. An incubus, right. Yeah, I've, I've heard. Well, let's look at some examples of the uh, from cultures of this phenomenon. One of them that I'm familiar with, I've always heard about the night hag. Okay. Uh, the night hag is a uh, fantastic creature from folklore of various peoples, which was used to explain the phenomenon of sleep paralysis. Actually, I found it interesting that a creature was portrayed in William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. I didn't know that. In Romeo and Juliet they had a sleep paralysis or a creature? Creature, that is correct. I don't know the name and mm-hmm. I'll uh maybe uh for next show I'll uh, come back with that. Yeah. Uh some believed actually as we talked about in the uh Bermuda Triangle Conspiracy Theory. Some believe that it was a work of alien abductors. Right. Now, uh, I, I, because, well, what do you mean, why well, I'm going to look at you? <laughs> because you're the big alien abduction
0: one. So I figured, you know, maybe you heard something a little bit about this or have a theory on it? I,
2: I, I do. I think it's totally different than sleep paralysis. I think that, you know, I don't know where my, I honestly don't know where I stand on alien abductions yet, but I think that that's probably a different
1: type. Yes. I don't okay. think
2: it's what... I don't think it's what we typically think of as sleep
1: paralysis. As I was doing this research, I found a long laundry list of folklore. And if, if you have the time, go out and Google sleep paralysis and do the look uh, over the folklore. But I'm going to give you just a few examples that I thought were uh, pretty interesting. In the southern states of the United States, they refer to this sometimes as Witch riding. Witch riding. Witch riding. In Arabic culture, sleep paralysis is uh, often referred to as Jathom, and it was uh, literally means what sits heavily on something. I found it interesting, during the Salem witch trial, several people reported nighttime attacks by various alleged witches, including Bridget Bishop. They feel that these may have actually been sleep paralysis so, events. See, and I've heard other stories of... of
2: of witches causing, you know, you can't move. Like, well, you but, can't move. But, right, I, I, but I think, and, and now that you've said this uh, and brought this up, I wonder if that was sleep paralysis in those situations. So with those the
0: stories. Salem Witch Trials, they're saying that these witches were
1: causing the sleep paralysis? That is, they were. It,
0: that they were actually
2: experiencing. Experiencing
1: the sleep paralysis, but they saw them as witches, and that's what. So that's what, oh, now I see what you're saying. So yeah. they were experiencing sleep paralysis, but because
0: they were in the Salem and all the witchcraft was going right. on, they figured
1: that it was the witches doing that it That is too. correct. Okay. That is correct. Uh-huh. Okay, so now that we've looked at a little bit of the folklore, um, let's go into the scientific, uh, scientific. Information, but information about it. I'll try to keep it as generic as possible. Sleep paralysis usually occurs at one of two times. If it occurs while you're falling asleep, it's called hypnogogic. This is considered the transitional period from wakefulness to sleep. Hypnogogic. Hypnogogic. If it happens as you're waking up, it's called hypnopompic. This is the transitional period from sleep to wakefulness. All right. Okay, so basically, what happens with this? Hypnagogic sleep paralysis. Basically, as you fall asleep, your body slowly relaxes. Usually, you become less aware, so you don't notice the change. However, if you remain or become aware while falling asleep, you may notice that you cannot move or speak. And this is why you're trying to fall asleep. That is why you're trying okay. to fall asleep. You know, and I know this sounds really crazy, but you know, I've been—if
2: you've ever been so tired, sometimes as you go to fall asleep and something happens, you're. Very slow to respond, and and I think that well, I remember reading something about this one time about that's that some people kind of get stuck right there for a minute.
1: Right. Okay. Uh, so now, what happens when we get into the hypnopomic sleep paralysis? During your sleep, your body alternates between REM or rapid eye movement mm-hmm. and non-rapid eye movement sleep. I think we've all heard of those. One cycle of REM and and NRM, as they call it, sleep, lasts about 90 minutes. NRM sleep occurs first and takes up about 75% of your overall sleep time. During this NRM sleep, your body relaxes and restores itself. At the end of that, you slip into what is called your rapid eye movement. So first you're starting off with the non-rapid eye movement for about, you said, like 90 minutes? Right. Then you slip into the deep sleep? That is correct. All right. So basically, when you're in REM, your eyes move quickly and dreams occur. This is where they say dreams actually occur. But the rest of your body remains very relaxed. Now, this is what I found interesting. When you enter this REM sleep, what happens in your body, your muscles are actually turned off. So that when you are dreaming, you don't start acting out what your dreams are. Whether you're flailing your arms or whatever, your body actually, your mind shuts your body off and relaxes your muscles.
0: So what if you are dreaming and you're flailing around or
2: you're yelling? That's night terrors, and I do know about that. So if your muscles react to and that's what happens with night terrors.
1: Okay. Yeah, and see, what they're saying is is if you become aware mm-hmm. before the REM cycle has finished, you're starting to wake up, and that's when you notice you can't move or speak because your muscles are still relaxed.
2: Your brain wakes so, up, but your muscles are uh, so still right, turned off.
1: Right, it's turned off. Your Your brain is waking up, but it hasn't released the muscles in your body, so you can't move because I had a student today talk because
0: we were talking about this, this podcast tonight and he was actually talking about how he actually had sleep paralysis and I, I really honestly didn't know much about it. I just know the sleep paralysis, it, it keeps you still mobile, makes you feel like something is on your chest where you can't move. That's what I figured it was but I had no clue that your muscles are actually turned off
1: during this cycle. That's That's pretty interesting. Research shows that it's believed that four out of ten people suffer some form of sleep paralysis. I found that I mean that's almost 50%. Yeah, almost it's a lot. Now, they're not talking about some form,
0: you're talking about just something but it's not necessarily well, that, that might they're be all like living. what I was talking about. I've I've
2: been so tired that I fall asleep and then for example, you know like when your kids were little mm-hmm. and you hear them crying and I, and you kind of get into a banter with your wife about it because well, you didn't go get the kid or something. Right. Sometimes they physically don't respond to it right away. I wonder if that's part of that
1: and And it could be um it, it's interesting to note that it's often first noticed uh, when we're teenagers, so well, that
0: would make sense because my student is a teenager, but he said it was going with him for a while. he said he's, he's him and his family's had some
1: sort of sleep paralysis, hmm. but that was another interesting thing during the research I was reading that it says that sleep paralysis is hereditary, yeah okay so. So if you're saying that he has family members, then Yeah, I think probably... he was saying that
0: his mom and his, or his uncle, yeah, it was his uncle that was talking about how they were sleep paralysis.
1: Well, some factors that may be linked to sleep paralysis include lack of sleep. Hey, that's all military members, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> sleep schedule that changes. There's military, military. again. Uh, mental conditions such as stress or bipolar. Well, I, we all deal with stresses. Uh, sleeping on the back. Well, see, I, I, I sleep on my
0: back. See, Constantly I do as well. Because I, I've i done that because I got used to it when I had my knee surgeries. I could only sleep on my back, so it became a habit now. Right. And I really don't sleep on my sides or I always start off on my back, always.
1: Other sleep problems such as narcolepsy and nighttime leg cramps. Oh, I get those a lot. Oh, I do as well. Right. Uh, do you, Have you ever known anyone with narcolepsy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a pretty bad that's uh, a pretty bad deal.
2: I, I worked with a the guy. They actually removed him from duty, and we were I was doing a, oh, mean, what do you call it when you just fall asleep? Do the construction uh, heavy machinery? You, you volunteer for like thirty days, and you go and you do construction around base, the self help stuff. Anyway, he was put as our supervisor because he was pretty high ranking. But I, I I'll be honest with you, I thought, man, this is a joke. And he's like, we get somewhere, he's like, you got to drive. I, I'm not allowed to drive, and I'm like, okay. Anyway, we were we were sitting there eating lunch one day, and the guy just fell asleep. I mean, there wasn't no hmm. snoring and everything. And anyway, it was like, okay. I, I never really believed it at all. I met him. I, I,
1: yeah, we, we had a chief over in uh, Germany that had, I, I didn't know it at the time, he had narcolepsy, but. They always used to go in, and when they didn't want to deal with him, they'd go in and put a candy bar on his desk. And, you know, he liked chocolate. Right. But chocolate triggered that yes, narcolepsy. That's what
2: that's what this guy told me, too. It chocolate triggers it.
1: Chocolate triggered it. So he would go in there, he'd eat the candy bar, and within like 30 minutes. I, chocolate
2: he, triggers a lot of brain issues.
1: Right. Well,
0: I know chocolate's good for other stuff, but, yeah, I, that's the first time I heard of it
1: triggering. But
0: this guy would do this, and he'd just wake up and, like, Fifteen minutes.
1: Yeah, that's the way he would too. He'd be asleep in his chair within thirty minutes.
0: Well, see, I, I figured that would be considered well, not considered, but I figured that would have something to do with the lack of sleep. Because I fall asleep sometimes. I'll be, you know, doing something, especially around the keyboard, right? And I'll just not. Oh, what, what the heck? I'll not off. Or I'll be sitting there watching TV, and because I'm working the two jobs and all this, I get that. Well, you, I know, you could probably fall asleep. In a matter of seconds, probably. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) because of everything that you're going on with right now. But yeah, I'll be sitting in the chair and I'll be wide awake, but all of a sudden I'll just nod off. Like, whoa, what the heck? Yeah, it's like two, three minutes at a time.
2: This, this, this guy. uh, What I remember is it was like a vivid. And and again, and I'm not an expert in this at all, but he would just you would be talking to him, and he would just (laughs) lay his head down and go to sleep. I Mm -hmm. mean, in
0: in an instant. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so. How is sleep paralysis basically diagnosed? Uh, it says that if you find yourself unable to move or speak for a few seconds or even minutes when falling asleep or waking up, then you're likely having an isolated recurrent sleep paralysis. And often there is no need to basically treat this condition. So if you're falling asleep at the wheel? Well, now, if you're falling asleep at the wheel, then you're dealing with narcolepsy. We're talking oh, okay. sleep paralysis. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm talking sorry about, about that. It. All right, all right. If you feel anxious about your symptoms, symptoms leave you very tired throughout the day, or your symptoms keep you up during the night. So this is strictly for sleep paralysis? For sleep paralysis. Your doctor may ask you to uh, describe your symptoms. You may want to keep a a sleep diary for a couple weeks to give the uh, doctor some information. Discuss your health history, any sleep disorders you might have. And then basically, how is is the – it's treated – as it said, most people don't really need any kind of treatment for sleep paralysis. Um, they may need uh, to treat the underlying conditions, such as narcolepsy. Do well, they do any sort of tests? Like oh, those? yeah, they'll so do t- sleep studies. Okay, because I had to do a sleep
0: study once, but it wasn't for any of this. It had to do with the whole... Um, sleep apnea. Yeah, the sleep mm-hmm. apnea. Mm-hmm. Is
1: is that the same type of testing? Yeah, of I would them? think so. Okay. I would think so. So uh, treatments uh, for uh, sleep paralysis... A lot of them are very simple. Try improving your sleeping habits. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I know for me, one of my biggest downfalls is I have to have the TV on in the room. Really, I cannot sleep at night without some kind of sound. My, my wife
2: is that way. I'm the other way. I, I can sleep. I like to have it on to go to sleep, but at some point in time, I like it. To Yeah,
1: Yeah,
0: I need quiet, too. And the thing that bothers me is the light from the TV. Yeah, that's That's what bothers me. It's like, turn
1: the damn thing off. And see, it doesn't bother me. In fact, my wife laughs at me because there are times at night I'll have the remote in my hand, and she'll go and shut the TV off, and I'll wake up. I'll sit up. I don't know this, but I sit up and tell her I was watching that. And then I'll (laughs) lay my head back down. She's like, sure you are, honey. Go back to sleep. Okay. So now sleep paralysis uh, we went over a lot of information on sleep paralysis. What does all of this information do for us as paranormal investigators? Because, you know, I wanted to tie it back to being paranormal topic. How would we deal with this when we deal with our investigations? Well, I'll give you my take real okay. quick. My take on it is is when you go out and you have someone that you're interviewing for something going on in their home, and one of their complaints is that they have... The feeling that, you know, when they're waking up or when they're falling asleep that they feel like something's on their chest. This would be something that you would want to think about.
0: Well, yeah, you would probably want to answer that in one of your original questions because I know we have the whole list of questions that we asked, but I don't think we have anything on there about sleep studies or anything
1: well not really um i know we ask questions about you know uh maybe sleep habits but we don't really truly get into that because i really don't think we've dealt with a client yet to where they've talked about no about I don't, like I don't there think was something have. sitting on them
2: i think you know you'd want to make sure that they haven't had something traumatic right so that they're like and you know in my instance we have a lot of family issues that's kind of happening right now and and I'm extremely tired, so if, I, if this happened to me tonight, I, I can now say, hey, it's probably just lack of sleep and these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. So you would probably want to figure out a way to make that part of your questioning to find out what's changed in their life, if anything, right. yeah, have that may they, be causing that. Yeah, have
1: they dealt with maybe some new stress, uh, issues where maybe they've moved into a new place, it's stressful, they don't sleep well. Mm-hmm. You know, And as we all know, when you don't get sleep, your mind can start playing many tricks on you. Oh, yeah,
0: because one of our cases out in uh, Snyder was because of the lack of sleep that was going on and the hallucinations and then the the high EMF EMF, and all that out there. So I think all of that could have
1: something to do with it as well. Yeah, so like I said, I just wanted to bring this as a topic because I think it can help maybe other, uh, our team, and also those out there in the paranormal arena that may be dealing with, with clients or somebody that's having issues where. Do I believe that there's paranormal things that might happen? Sure.
2: I was about to ask that. Yeah. Sure.
1: I, I, I do believe that, you know, the majority of it might be able to be pushed aside as sleep paralysis. But I also believe that there there can be paranormal things that happen to somebody that are actually unexplainable. So that's my take. Yeah, I'm, I totally agree with that one. I mean, like I said,
0: I've woken up in the middle of the night, and not that my body hasn't moved, but I know everyone's woken up to where your arm is like completely asleep, but that's because you've slept on it wrong, right. and you've lost all the blood and to the feeling and everything, and you just got there, and it's just dangling, and you're trying to slap it and everything, trying to get it to wake up. Right. So I don't think... That has anything to do with paranormal, but the sleep paralysis angle, I, I, I like that a lot, especially with someone claiming that they have something on their chest. Well, now we can ask them exactly when does that occur? Does it occur when you wake up? Does it occur when you go to sleep? Because now we have some sort of scientific explanation of what it could be. Right. I would want to
2: caution, you know, if you're another investigator out there, though I don't think you should automatically rule something out as sleep paralysis. It's kind of like what you were saying right. earlier. I think it needs to be just something you would consider to see if that's what it is, and then you know they could follow up and see if that's what they're if they're experiencing. But right. I don't think it should automatically be
0: discounted. No, not at all. Right. It shouldn't be. Right. No, that We've never counted it out, taken it just, okay, boom, that's it. We've always tried to come up with some sort of explanation for it by the way of asking questions, trying to do some sort of theory to come up with an explanation why they claimed
1: that something was on their chest. Right. I like that one. That was a good article. Okay. I liked good. it. You want to do yours, Mike? Why yeah. don't
2: we wait till next time?
1: Okay. Yeah, I was thinking so. We still have to do our EVP yet? Yeah. Oh, that's right. We did say we would do it, and, and I, I it promised them the last Ovilus. time. I did promise them the last
0: time that we claimed that we would do an EVP, we'll do one. So let's go ahead. I'll, I'll cue that up. And uh, while I'm queuing that up, why don't you guys go ahead and talk about the ovulus That way we can go right into the EVP. This was going to be our tech review for tonight, but my first question
2: to these guys, was this a review or a discussion? Because I don't know where I stand.
0: (laughs) I don't think any of us know where we stand. Yes, we've used this piece, okay? And for those of you that don't know what an ovulus is, it's basically a device that... It's an EMF detector that speaks
2: words instead of signals. There you go. That's how I can describe it shortly. I, and it, let, let's say you had, you know, if you were reading an EMF meter and it would, and, and I don't know if I'm saying this in the right ranges, but let's say you know you had 1.8 milligauss, it would say Billy. If you had 1.85 milligauss, it would say Sue. I mean, every every different range has a different word right. associated
1: with it. It has approximately the version that we have has approximately 2,000 pre. Built-in words, right? Um, that uh, the EMF is allowed to use to manipulate. Correct. Now, uh, the the theory behind it is is that if you're doing an EVP session, you could questions and technically could get responses with through this device. They some of the TV shows are real fond at using
2: this device. If you might have seen that on some of the TV shows.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I've got to. I've got to be careful on how I say things because the times that I've used it, it just seems like it's throwing words out. There's no real... Well, you, you know, when we talked about this before, I know where you're going. It's just throwing words out there that you don't understand.
2: But here's my take on that. I think that is more feasible than if it's responding to me with the answer that I makes sense to what I just asked. And here's my reason why. How does a ghost, per se... Know what frequency to manipulate to give me the response of a pre programmed device that it or I have no idea what that is to answer me. Yeah. Now, we've been in buildings where this device will never go off. Right. Yeah. But the one this weekend, it was going off constantly. I say I would expect that because of the history that we've had in that building. But on that note, what's, what, Concerns me about it the most that it is a readily available device that you can get on the internet for ghost hunting. Yeah, is it just randomly throwing something out there depending on how much I shake it or move it or whatever? So, like yeah. a random word
0: generator, right? right? I can see that point being a random generator because, like you said, it has 2,000 words on there. Yeah, it's like a slot machine, right? Pull the handle, what's yeah. gonna pop up? Yeah,
2: no, th- and there's been times, and this is. Again, the subject of another te- television show. There has been times when it has answered the question that I have asked, and then I ask a follow-up question, and it answers that. But I think we're
0: seriously encroaching on periodola or suggestion of some sort. Yes, that is definitely another another topic right there. Yeah. But I find it interesting that, yes, we use this, but we've used it in conjunction with other items. right. To get a response, if you would, like when we were using the, the ghost box with it. Right. Right. Okay. When we were at MacArthur Military Museum up Mm -hmm. there, we had the ghost box and you had the ovulus. Right. And the thing that I found interesting with the ovulus is that it was you, Kevin, Destiny, and Misty were up there in that room with you guys. Right. And you were doing an EVP session with the ghost box, and basically this was just a, a AM FM radio where we took it out to where it would constantly loop the frequencies. yeah, And then the theory is if an entity wanted to interact with you, it could talk through that. The thing that I found interesting is that you got almost the same response. You guys were talking to the ghost box. Yeah. You had the obelisk to the side. You're asking it questions and you were asking something about it being in the room with you Mm -hmm. and you got a response saying above, right? Well, you were in the, the camera shot and at that same time that you were saying, that it said above, you see this black mast come down from the ceiling behind the girls. You see the girls get antsy. Yeah. One of them moves closer to you guys. Right. And then you see Destiny. She looked in the general vicinity of where – Came down, and then she's like, oh, you ain't leaving me here. And you can hear this all on the, the voice cursor. No, you, mm, I, they're just something right. back there, something back there. Right. But you had a response that said above. Yeah. And then you had something come down from above. Right. Come behind you guys while you're using this, but you have the audio footage. You have the video footage. Then you have the ovulus and the Frank's box. Yeah. All working together yeah. to give you the same sort of response.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where, as paranormal investigators, you have to, when you're using a device, no matter what it is, you need to have other pieces of equipment in there that you can back up that equipment. Exactly. For. The is, as, as Rob gave a very good point of, you know, we had other devices that were able to back that up.
2: One of the things that concerned me about it, when we talked about the random word generator, when we were using it at this investigation about a month ago, I had a K2 and a Trifield. That would not key off, mm-hmm. but the ovulus would.
0: The ovulus was keying off and the
2: tri-field. Well, on it the, would go off, off at the same time as the tri-field mm-hmm. and, and the K2, but there were times when the ovulus would go off without either of them hitting. Right. So that's what scared me a little because one of those two devices should have picked up the frequency. If it wasn't in the range of the K2, it should have been in the range of the tri-field.
0: All right. What setting did you have the tri field on? Do you remember? I
2: tried all three settings. Okay.
0: Because the K2 is strictly for man made. 60, 50, 60 or Right. Something like that. But it's strictly for man made EMF. Mm-hmm. To where the tri field, you can pick uh, earth magnet or, or radio waves. Radio waves. So if you try in all three, I, I can see where that would happen and not. So what type of. EMF is the ovulus picking up on? Is it man-made right. or, That's is, my is, question. or yeah. is it? Or is it? Because I remember it when would we,
2: pick up on the legitimate hits on the instruments, but it would also go off when there were no hits on the
0: instruments. Okay, th- this reminds me of the um, radio frequencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we first started, right back, we were doing a house close to the base. We were doing Dave's house, right, and we had what oh, we thought yeah. was the weather. Okay, We had a weather device to where we could go ahead and get updates from what was going on in the room, right. all the temperature and all the humidity and all that. So when we were doing this, they had an EVP session on the bed. Well, this device was probably in the corner of the room, but they started getting hits on the K2 meter. Yeah. Every time they would ask a question, they would get a hit, and they're like, oh, this, this is awesome. And they called us back, and we were watching this, and we could see it on the camera. We are like, go ahead, ask us something else. And they would ask us something else that would happen, and they'd get a response they are like oh boy and you know our rules ask response wait a couple seconds see if you get something right so we were following our protocol and we were getting responses and we're like this is cool but then when someone else was over there josh yeah ruh he was in there and he was watching and he was like looking at his watch looking at this and it just so happened that every time they were asking a question at the same time mm-hmm. constantly Every one minute and 20 seconds, the K2 would go off. So he's like, hold on. Don't ask it a question. Just sit it there. And they're like, all right. So they sat it there, and he's like, it's going to go off. And sure enough, the K2 went off again. Yeah. So we searched and searched and found out that it was the weather device, the stick. Yeah, the sensor. Reeling, the sensor mm-hmm. relaying back to well, our terminal back there. So that's why we don't use that anymore. So yeah. could there have been some sort of device?
2: Well, and you know, and I know I've told one of you guys, I've, I've since came down and – Looked at this building, and I did find you know that the power meter was transmitting a signal. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So could that have picked it up?
2: But it was keying on the radio frequency on the trifield. It would not pick up on the if you put the K two on top of the power meter outside the building, mm-hmm. it would key. Okay. But inside where we were at, it wouldn't key the K two. It wouldn't key the the trifield. It would only key it on the radio wave signal of the trifield.
0: So, do we think that the ovulus is based on radio waves
2: now? Uh, no, it didn't. It didn't, and it, that was like a constant thirty-second or something relay that it, I forget what the time was. I did. Okay. And what again? What's weird though is it was doing it. So the tri-field obviously picked up the signal being sent, mm-hmm. but the K two was going off at times when the t- when the tri wouldn't go off. We'll probably have to try
0: and do some sort of experimentation with that
1: yeah. one then. The the biggest thing that I'd like to pass across on this is when you guys are doing your equipment purchase the biggest thing i can say is just do your research because some of these devices can run up to five hundred dollars yeah you really need to do your research and make sure it's what you guys want what you want it to do because a lot of people will just put devices out there and say they're for paranormal investigating yeah there's a whole website out there it's nothing towards ghost hunting equipment right and it's Right. Yeah, do
0: your research, people. Right. Okay. So. Don't don't take other people's words that yeah, this is what we use. That's why we got the ovulus because it was a new device. We wanted to try it. Right. Do we honestly think it works?
2: I don't know yet.
1: Yeah. Exactly. See, and I'm the that, same way. I'm the
0: same way. We still got to do more research on it.
2: More. I think it could. But I'm also wondering what caused it to go off and not the other end. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll be interested to try it again at another location. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that. Does our tech corner. Did you get the EBP? Yeah, of course EBP. I got Did the EVP set up. Okay. okay. So to end this show for tonight, we're going to put in the EVP Once again, we'll play it for you. We're not going to tell you what we hear or what we say. We'll do that next week. Okay. So make sure you guys tune in for the next show to hear what we think it is. All right. Now, Should just we l- set them up a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I'm going to set them up a little bit. Okay. This is actually in a nursery. We
0: have an investigator out there that is playing with some toys trying to get... This activity that to, um, I guess you could say occur again. He's basically playing with one of those popper toys. Uh, this is probably a case that we had a good five, six years yeah. ago. Yeah, easy. Listen, you'll hear the popping going on. It sounds like he's playing with drumsticks, but he's actually playing with one of those little popper toys that you move around. And it goes pop, 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 yeah, pop, it's got pop, got little, little balls. Little balls. In exactly. It, yeah. So he's playing with that one. And then towards the end, You could hear it faintly, and then it gets louder. Now, we don't move the DARS. Our DARS are stationary. Digital audio recorders, we put them stationary. So you're going to hear something in the background, and like I said, we didn't know what it was. We had no clue. But when we were doing our footage reveal with the client, as soon as they heard this, they knew exactly what it was. Right. They went and got it, showed it to us, and yes, it was. Now, the reason that... We're leaving this as an EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. It's not really a voice; it's more of a noise, if you would. Yeah. The reason what they were classifying it as that is because none of us heard it. None right. of us. Right. It, it was in the background. We'll go ahead. We'll play it normal, and then we have three that we've enhanced it to try and get that sound that you can hear better. You'll hear it more towards the end of it. So uh, it lasts probably about 30 seconds. So go ahead, listen. And uh send us an email, radio show at militaryparanormal Let us know what you think or even leave a comment on the Podbean site. Right. Or even Facebook. Facebook, sure. Anywhere that you can leave a comment, go ahead, leave a comment, tell us what you think this is. So here you go. One last time at normal.
1: So I'd like to uh, share with you real quick, In, in this room where this EVP was taken, there was actually a rocking chair that was sitting there, and I got the great chance to experience something, have a personal experience of watching that rocking chair move back and forth. Yeah. I checked to make sure that you know there was no air, nothing was in that room. Oh yeah, I I, re- I remember when you said you saw that, and I went down there and checked it as well with you. Yeah, and uh, so the unfortunate thing was I had no camera, so it's just a personal experience. Right. But I really enjoyed it. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was, it was a good investigation. investigation. Yeah, that really was. So in conclusion, you guys, I'd uh, like to say thank you for uh, listening to these radio shows, and we really would. Uh, Appreciate it if you could give us some feedback on what you guys uh, like and what you don't like. Uh, remember, you can send us a message at radio at mili- radio show at militaryparanormal.com. You can make sure you come to our Facebook page.
2: You can send us a message there, make a comment, anything that you want to hear on that. You can find us on Twitter at mpi underscore paranormal. Don't forget, you can uh, you're listening to this on Podbean, but you can also our talk to you, but you can also go to youtube and and download it and if you subscribe to us on there help us get to 100 subscribers so we can get our own url that will be great
0: and don't forget you can also go ahead on our forum as well and write a little comment about the show so i think we had a pretty good show guys even though we talked about some things that we were going to be paranormal and then turned out to be we could explain them even though you still think the ufos and aliens are for the Bermuda Triangle, but
2: no, I, I I think the same thing. You you and I didn't think we would agree, but I think oh yeah, that is true. We didn't think we I would agree I just think that it. there's some things that are probably still UFO related, but I don't think that's what the Bermuda Triangle is.
0: Okay, all right, and then we had Jeff with his sleep paralysis on there, so that was that. I I learned some stuff on about that one that I, I didn't really realize. I, I, on yeah, that. it
2: was a little more in depth than I. Yeah, know, it was. I'm a, and next week I'll go to uh, we're gonna talk about the crystal skulls a little bit kind of oh
0: yeah your topic because we just completely like got on to mine and Jeff so yeah the topics there crystal skulls so that has to deal like what a whole Indiana Jones yeah, crystal the, skulls or that was the most popular
2: kingdom of the crystal Skulls. Yeah. but we'll uh, I'll go down there and see if you guys think it's uh of course my favorite alien related or if yeah. you think it's uh, a hoax or any of that
1: Well I look forward to hearing now I one. do too. Like we said, it was a good show. Yep. Thank you guys for listening, and please uh, send in your comments.